scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 4. Let's share in God's good word together. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. There are two kinds of technology, devices and instruments. Devices basically do things for us. They uh, often replace us, and we don't have to do anything when they're doing their thing. Um, And there's a place for devices, but a very small place, because really I think what technology is meant to be is an instrument, which is something that actually helps me as a human being engage more with the world. When I'm using devices, they kind of uh, take over and do things for me. When I use things as an instrument, I'm actually creating, I'm acting, I'm making something of the world. So your phone is a device, um, when you're using it just to like consume uh, video or, or photographs. You're just uh, watching them scroll by. Someone else made that. You're now just consuming it and your phone is presenting it to you. But your phone is an instrument when you actually use it to make an image, especially an image that has some something worthwhile about it, something that requires some effort and skill to make. So as much as possible, we need to uh, use all of our technology as little as possible like devices and as much as possible like instruments. I want to lift up this idea that this little supercomputer in your hand can be an instrument or it can just be a device. The choice is yours. And of course, the, for thousands of years, we have been asked to be instruments of God's peace. And is what you hold in your hand an instrument of God's peace? Or is it just a device? We are in our last and final week of what the tech? What the tech? The promise and perils of our digital age. Um, and I, I just want to thank everybody that's really poured into this series. Uh, it's so important. This really is the question of our age. How do we connect with God and others um, in the middle of this huge technology shift that we're in? And I do appreciate Andy Crouch. Uh, one of the uh, main books that I used early on in the series is uh, The Tech Wise Family. It's a little orange book. It's an easy read. I recommend it to you, particularly those of you uh, with littles in the home. And, and he does say very clearly, and I think uh, this, this idea is very good, that there are two kinds of technology, devices and instruments. Say that with me, devices and instruments. Devices basically do things for us. Technology is meant to be an instrument, which is something that actually helps me as a human being engage more with the world to connect. So as much as possible, he writes, we need to use all of our technology as little as possible like devices and as much as possible like instruments. When I was in college, I had the incredible opportunity to go to the Masonic 
temple in Guthrie, a beautiful performing arts place. And there I saw Wenton Marsalis. Wenton Marsalis. I, I think he's one of the, uh, the most incredible musicians uh, of, of my lifetime. And so he can just do amazing things. And, and so, you know, when you find an instrument and you master an instrument, I mean, there's nothing like it. It blesses the world. Uh, and I've also seen, you know, kids at camp on their bunk like that. And what I know when I see that at camp is that in some ways it might as well be at home. Because they're not connected. They're not connected to the kids. They're not connected to nature. They're not connected to God. They're just doing the same thing they do everywhere else they do. They just are doing it in a different location. One brings life. The other brings death. Now, I have a, a really interesting relationship with technology, as each one of you do. I come from a family whose um, very existence was rocked by technology back in the 30s and 40s. Uh, this is my Papa Howard uh, with his poodles, Bonnie and Bobo. And, and so this is my dad's dad. And he, um, my dad was born in 1934. And when my dad remembers my papa in those early days, he was a pen and pencil set salesman. And so Father's Day, graduation, vacation, Schaefer's pens. Like this is real gold. Right? These are high-end executive CEO kind of things that, that every person of influence would have. This is bless their hearts for Father's Day, graduation, vacation even. For all gifts occasions, instead of giving some short-lived token... Express your lasting regard with the Schaefer's lifetime pen. Papa did very well. Until the ballpoint pen. 1944. It wasn't a lifetime gift. It was a pretty cheap gift. It lasted a week, maybe. Then you throw it away. That was the end of that. And so we, our family, being, you know, kind of entrepreneurial spirit, like, what are we going to do? Papa had to figure out what he was going to do. The, the technology completely wiped my family's way of life off the map. So he started selling watches, high-end watches. Bull of a watch salesman did even better than the pen and pencil set. Uh, my dad used to tell me that Papa, uh, every single person in Oklahoma would have to have purchased three watches from my Papa to have gotten all of it. They say, he would say that my, my papa would walk into a store and the owners were like, no, Howard, I can't buy anymore. I still have some from the last time you were here. He was just so good at it. And we were fine. By the time I got to college, I, I left high school and, and I went to college with a Smith Corona typewriter. Now, the kids in youth group were like, what's a typewriter? Right? So I, I went there and I remember one night in the spring, um, there was one computer for the entire fraternity house. It was a, simply a data processor, uh, not very powerful. But it, it, people were like, wow, you know, this will do this for you and, and it'll correct. And so I remember there was a, a brother of mine who had been working about six hours. We were going into finals week. And I remember a storm rolling in in, in Oklahoma as they do. And I hear this, and I hear this scream as if somebody had been murdered. And, and I went into the computer room and he was just in tears. Everything he had worked on was gone. Just gone. Pre-save all the time. And so that, I, I was a little leery, and so I went to grad school. Um, and by then, they had better computers, but not me. I had my Smith Corona. I'd seen what had happened. 
I'm slow on the uptake with the tech. I'm not very trusting about it. Uh, but even so, um, I, I got a job uh, at Highland Park United Methodist Church, um, but I took my Oklahoma State stuff with me. Go Pokes. Yeah. Everywhere I went. And so um, I was working on my grad papers at SMU. And, but the thing about grad school is the papers are considerably longer. And, and the little tape, you know, that I would try to reuse that was supposed to, like, get the ink off the paper from the typewriter, you, it left half a, It was just terrible. And so they had a computer lab. And you would sign up for time at the computer lab. Some of you actually remember doing this. Because they only had so many computers for the entire campus at SMU. And so you would sign up. And, and the grad students oftentimes would get sort of last billing because m- many of us were working and had jobs. And so I would often have to sign up somewhere between 10 o'clock at night and 3 in the morning. Which was not very good on our marriage because Chantel was putting me through school. She worked all day and I was writing papers at night. Not at home because I didn't have a computer. I couldn't afford one. I was going to the computer lab. And it, it got kind of weary. Chantel made a friend um, who was married to Mark Bezos. Yes, Jeff Bezos' little brother, that Mark Bezos. Um, It just so happened uh, that Mark wanted a new computer. So he got himself one. And he gave me his old Apple IIsi. And then what we thought was going to save our marriage nearly wrecked it. Because every morning now, Chantel would wake up to... Dot matrix printer, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But yes, I did graduate in 1996. We made it. And, but that's how, you know, technology is like that. It's great. It's terrible. It's great. It's terrible. And you have to kind of find your way through it. So how about you? Does your phone, does it connect you or does it isolate you? Does it make you feel more human or less human? Lifted or defeated? Is it just a device or is it an instrument that really helps you? connect and so i asked the students a number of weeks ago when we were starting the series i said how what is your relationship with technology and your family system what is that like and this is what they had to say uh so this happens with oh this happens with my dad quite a bit and i mean i like to mess around with him with it because he's he's kind of phone police sometimes and he's like social media is bad social media is bad y'all are always on your phones but then sometimes I'll try and talk to him, and he'll be scrolling Facebook. And I'm like, I'm trying to have a conversation with you, and you're just ignoring me. And it's just kind of frustrating sometimes. I got his dad's permission before I, I used that. <laughs> um, he knew that was coming. He's like, yeah, I mean, that's how it is, isn't it? Right? Like we, we're like, oh, I got to get my kids right with social media. Oh, I might want to get myself right with social media. <laughs> right? See, technology gives us unlimited access to the knowledge of good and the temptation of every kind of evil. It's all there for the taking. Jesus is exactly right when he says, seek and you shall find. You better ask, what is your heart seeking? Because you're going to find it. It's all right there on the flip side of this little symbol that takes us back to Genesis 3. It's all there for you. The question is, do you really want to know all the evil that's in the world? It's not, we're not meant for that, friends. And, and you've heard me do plenty of sermons on anxiety and depression in young people because we are not made to know everything wrong with the world as it happens. Only God can handle that. Certainly not 12-year-olds. And so uh, what makes this even harder is that a study from MIT right, found that false news spread six times faster than true news. 
So, friends, we've got, as people who are truth-tellers, as people who claim to follow Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If this is who we are, then we have to work harder than ever to be people of truth. One of the brutal things about this week, this week's news, right? I mean, as you follow what's going along um, in Israel and the Gaza Strip, I mean, there are, there are videos out there with thousands, if not millions of views that is simply a take from a video game and, and claiming it is real. And, and people without checking are like, yeah, yeah, look what's going on. They're like, that's a video game. It's a video game. John Mark Comer writes it like this. He says, Jesus has come to liberate us with the weapon of truth. To apprentice under Rabbi Jesus is more than just to enroll as a student for a daily lecture in his master class of life. It's also to enlist as a soldier and, say it with me, join his fight to believe truth over lies. That is the battle. Truth over lies. It has always been that way from the serpent and Eve to today. Truth and lies. Truth sets you free. Lies bind you and lead to death. Ultimately, even if you can't see it on first reference. And so as a church, the way we try to get at this, the way we're called to this as the people of Acts 2, is that we invite the Holy Spirit to guide us. Collectively, of course, as a church and individually, but not just as individuals, but in very personal ways. Some of you have experienced this, as I, as I have multiple times in my life. You find yourself someplace... You, you know, you're just going along your normal life. And you, if you're listening, you can hear the Spirit say, you need to leave now. And I've had people talk, talk to me about this multiple times over my ministry. And they'll, they'll recount this exact same thing. They were in a place or they were in a conversation. And, and the Lord basically just gave them a nudge in their spirit and said, you need to get out of there. And they did. And what happened later was always tragic. Sometimes it was a shooting. Other times it was an accident. And I'm, I'm inviting you to really listen for the voice of truth in Jesus. And because this can be so heavy, I'm, I'm trying to lighten it up and just ask a, a silly question. That is, well, what, what if Jesus had an iPhone? Well, what would he do? Well, in a lighthearted way, um, I think he might really get tired of carrying all those scrolls. You know, I mean, the scripture lesson today is they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Well, that's a book of the Bible. How many books are in the Bible? 66. Jesus had less than that, right? Because there's no New Testament for Jesus. Because uh, he is the walking New Testament, right? He is scripture itself, the word of God. So I think Jesus, um, he might go online um, and look some stuff up. He might use the Bible app rather than carrying multiple scrolls. Right? So in, in the lesson that we had today, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolls the scroll, finds a place where it was written, you know, that he's going to bring uh, release to the captives. So scrolls look like this. They're not tiny. And the reason we have scrolls is because this is holy. You're not to touch it. They don't use their hands on this ever. They have an instrument. And matter of fact, um, and I'll talk more about this later in the sermon. I, I visited uh, with Rabbi Vered Harris this week. And, and she gave me um, some prayer booklets that they used at their prayer service, uh, praying for their community. And in the back of it, and I have some here if you'd like to pray along with them, but in the back of it, it says, please do not throw this in the trash. It contains God, the word God. 
but is holy. They so revere the name of God, they would never touch it. They would never put it in the trash. They would not have a bulletin and just throw it in the trash because it has God's name on it. And so if you'd like to pray along with the Jewish community, pray the prayers that they've been praying. I've got a few left up here, but I would ask that you not ever throw it away. Honor what they believe. And we want to honor God's name. We don't want to ever take the Lord's name in vain or use it lightly. And so in the Jewish community, if you go to Jerusalem today, they're going to carry God's word in a huge container that's quite ornate. And the scrolls are huge. So that's one thing I think Jesus might do. I also think because Jesus was perfect in every way, he was a perfect son, I think he might just call his mom. Right? Hey, mom. How's it going? And, um, you know, I'm in the desert, so self-service is kind of tricky. Um, so I, th- I think he might call his mom. I think he's a good son, perfect son. I also think he might turn it off. I mean, over and over and over again in the scriptures, we find Jesus just being hounded by people, trying to get away, trying to be able to connect with his father in prayer. We find this over and over in the scriptures. It says at daybreak, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him, always looking for him. And when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. Everybody wants something from Jesus. Heal me, help me, feed me. And Mark, it says this, in the morning, while it was still dark, before sunup, Jesus gets up, he goes out again to a deserted place, and there he prays. And well, there's Peter, right? And Simon and his companions, they hunted for him. They're hunting him down. And when they found him, they said to him, say the word with me, everyone is searching for you. Everyone. You can just feel how exhausting that is. The scripture writes about it. Everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. And so if I get up before daybreak and actually get, and I'm actually in the zone with my father, I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm being empowered. I think Jesus, if he had a phone, I think he'd take his phone and he'd text his little brother James and say, leave me alone. <laughs> like tell people, I'll be back in an hour, but just, you know, give me some peace. Just, it just text him like, hey, can you tell the others? It's just a minute. When we were talking about this um, as a team earlier in the week, uh, Dr. Gorell said, you know, I really think that Jesus would call the lonely and forgotten. Jesus was always doing that. And if we're going to be like Jesus, think about that. Who in your contacts um, do you know is having a hard time? Maybe somebody you haven't talked to in two or three years. And then just ask the Lord, who, who is it in my contacts that might be lonely or forgotten? Reach out to them. Send them a text. Call them. Say, just had you on my heart today. So if Jesus used an iPhone... It would be used certainly to serve others as an instrument of connection and of love and of peace. Now, I'm, I'm still getting used to um, technology. I'm, I'm a slow uh, learner with this stuff. But one of the things I love about uh, an iPhone is it's got a really good little camera on it. And so I, I love the beauty of God. And as, as I see it, I love to, to, to try to hold on to that moment. And I don't always have photography equipment with me. Actually, I rarely do. I don't travel with it. Um, I find it cumbersome. I like to kind of just go. But, you know, some of you will remember a, a really terrible ice storm a number of years ago. Uh, and at the back of our home where we lived at the time, there was nothing. It just overlooked, actually come all the way back uh, to the church. And that ice storm um, at sunset actually revealed this in our backyard. This is one of my favorite photos of, of all time. It's just so beautiful what God can do with what was so harsh and terrible and breaking down trees. But in this moment, just, just grass in a field. 
with the light hitting it just so. It was like an amazing work of art to me. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't go get all my camera equipment. I just throw my phone on the ground and sometimes you get lucky. And you're like, oh, that's really cool. In the springtime here at the church, right after we had built this facility, this, this sanctuary, uh, a mama duck found that one of our planters, she thought that would be a really good place to have her babies. And so, you know, I didn't have, again, all my camera equipment, but I had my phone. And so you find a mama and, and her little babies here at the church, yes, walking around. And, you know, you could actually put it down and see, see the little ones, the fuzz still on them. I'm like, that's, that's a great instrument of joy and celebration of what God does all around us if we stop and look. And so I, I do think that God would, would actually have us, invite us to do more things that make us forget about our phones. You might even give us t-shirts. <laughs> it looks like this. We have one for you out in the, in the foyer. We hope you'll take one. Uh, for every person in your family, we hope you'll, you'll have that. And, and, you know, they're all in adult sizes, but we hope we'll do that. And so back in the day, uh, rather than t-shirts, we used to have these little bracelets. Do you all remember the WWJD bracelets? Yeah. yeah. And so uh, what does that stand for? Do you know? Yes, what would Jesus do? Now, see, you all know it. But has it changed your life? No. Why not? Because you're not God. Jesus was and is fully God. And therefore, we can't do everything he did. Right? I mean, I can, I can stand at Lake Fall and go like this all day long. Nothing's going to happen. That's a Moses reference from Exodus, not Jesus. But you get the idea. We, Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to do. So it doesn't really do us any good to say, what would Jesus do? Well, whatever he wants, he's God. So it didn't really yield much. But we can listen to him. We really can listen to the word. The scripture says, now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was, say it with me, distracted by her many tasks without a phone. (laughs) So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? (laughs) Y'all know what a martyr syndrome is, right? Like, oh, come on, Martha. Tell her to help me, Jesus. Basically what she's doing is, look at me, look at me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried. And say with me, distracted by many things. True then, true today. There's need of only one thing. Jesus saying me, right? Follow me. Mary's chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. So the real question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Right? Or what would Jesus have me do? Right? What would Jesus have me do? So that, that little deal on your bracelet would read WWJHMD. <laughs> no ring to it at all. So we don't, we don't do that. But I did actually ask the Lord. I said, okay, well, what would you have me do this week? And the Spirit said, well, have you checked on Rabbi Harris? She's a great friend to Acts 2 in your church. Your kids go... You know, to the temple, the Nye Israel every year for confirmation. She teaches us. It's been a really hard week for her. You know, uh, this is Verid Harris, Rabbi Harris here in town. And, you know, you might want to bless her, check on her. So I did. And um, 
you know, she said, well, I, we, you know, we had this prayer vigil, and if your church wants to pray with us, you know, I have a few of these left. If you'd like to come by and get them, I'm happy to give them to you. Again, we, we won't throw them away because it contains God's name. And so they use these, and we have a few left if you want one. And then she was even so gracious as to share her remarks with me from that night. I want to read you her closing. She said, when we act, let it be with justice and mercy. We can recognize our anger, our fear, and our grief, but we need not act with anger against others, cower in fear, or lose ourselves in tears. Which would be so easy to do, friends. You know, what I find is that the Jewish community here in town, pretty much all of them have family still in Israel. This isn't something happening to other people. If you're Jewish, this is happening to your family. These are your people. These are your friends. These are your children, grandchildren, grandparents, uncles, and aunts. So she writes, Rather, let us listen to the words directed to Joshua and the Jewish people when entering the promised land. Be strong and resolute. Strong in our values, resolute in following them, strong in our community, resolute in protecting it, strong in our love, resolute in not letting hate destroy the best in who we are and can be. That's wisdom and grace. Think about it. If it was your family and those photos, would you be calling for grace and no more loss of life? And so in the, in the prayer for the captors and those who have been, um, those who have been captive, uh, or how did she write it? For those being held captive, she writes, Grant wisdom to the Israel Defense Forces, the government of Israel, and all those in leadership who strive towards a better tomorrow, that they may secure freedom for the captives without further loss of life. That's the, without any more loss of life. So yesterday afternoon, when I was visiting with her in her driveway, she, she gave me this material, and I gave her a, a, a big um, bouquet of roses that we as a church were saying, look, we, we just want you to know we love you, we value you, we honor you, we thank you for being our friends. And um, she appreciated that. And when I got home, she sent me um, some more information, and one of those things is that um, there's a group in New York and many of you know that there's 150 hostages that have been taken. But it's, it's so easy to just let that be a number out there somewhere. And so when someone in Oklahoma is taken or someone in the United States is taken, we actually put up photos of missing persons. And so just one of these 150 hostages is this little guy. So she sent that to me. Right? He's missing. He's in the hands of someone. Right? Just nine months old. Getting that from his home. And there's 150 other folks. Not all babies. The, the next one in the line is four. Young men and women. Entire families. And so we can pray for God's peace. We can pray for no more loss of life. We can stand with Rabbi Harris and say, we mourn with you. We pray with you. That no more lives would be lost. Because God is God of all. All children. All places. Dallas Willard writes, he says, Jesus does not call us to do what he did. We can't. But to be as he was. 
permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. And so, um, you know, these... This is the way the world is, super dramatic swings, up and down, up and down. And so I, I asked the students, I said, is there any tech that helps you connect with God? Is there anything you find helpful? And they said, yeah, actually. So here's what they said. Have you found anything with tech that helps you connect to God? The Bible app and also Apple Music um, in the mornings with worship music. Worship music in the morning, Yeah. Yeah, so Chantel always knows when I'm up because I, I've got some serious music going on in the mornings, right? And, and so these are things that you've got available to you. Uh, scripture right there. Uh, not just the, the app, but there are entire uh, websites dedicated to helping you read Scripture, Bible plans, all of that. That's all there for you. And so in order to become permeated with love as Jesus was and is, we must be able to pay attention to God and others. Say, well, God, what are you doing? What would you have me do? And so I asked the students, I said, with all this tech around you, is it harder now to be a kid? Or do you think it's harder to be a parent of a kid? And, and this is what they said. Um, I also kind of think that it's harder as a kid because, I mean, before technology, um, everybody would be able to like, go and have a conversation with somebody like face-to-face. But now kids kind of just have developed, like Aiden said, a bad habit of just like texting or direct messaging or whatever it is. And they're kind of losing that social aspect of society. And I feel like that's something that this generation needs to have so that we're not completely controlled by our phones, but can also use our phones to text and stuff, like I guess at the right time. So what are you going to do if you get to heaven and you don't have a phone? It might actually look like this. It's a cartoon that says most of the new arrivals seem incapable of conversation. They just stare at their hands in despair. Friends, you do not want to be that in heaven. That would be terrible. Right? So, I said, so um, Brandon, many of you all know, was in a, um, a wilderness survival camp for two weeks without his phone. And so I asked the students, this was when he was gone, I said... You know, assuming that Pastor Brandon comes back to us alive, which he is, you know, would, what, do you think you could go two weeks without your phone? And this is what they said. Uh, I think, like, it, I think it'd be really good for me. Like, if I knew, like, it's going to be off, I'm not going to have it, and, you know, like, my friends know I'm not going to text them or anything. Like, I think it'd be really good for me to just, like, be away from it for that amount of time. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. I've uh, I've done kind of the same thing, not two weeks, but it was is three, five days maybe, um, camping with my dad, my my grandparents, and all that. Um, I just before I I did it, I just let everyone know, let my mom. I was like, listen, I'm not gonna have my phone for X amount of time. There's no Wi-Fi in the woods, you know. There's there's nothing. I can't call you or anything. Um, and it was it was awesome for me because it was just like. I can build a fire without watching a YouTube video. You know, it's like you can you can do things um, if you absorb the people around you and what they have to say and what they have to think. You can you can uh, learn those things without your phone. Absorb the people around you. 
Adam Hamilton, uh, who preached this series first uh, uh, almost a year ago now, he says, I think Jesus would have used do not disturb an awful lot on his cell phone. Or entirely turning it off and leaving it in another room would be things Jesus would have done on a regular basis, always looking for ways to connect. And so how do we do it? How do we become more like Jesus in today's digital world? Um, Well, Alyssa Davis of our youth group, she sent me this. I thought it was really good. She says, what if we began to treat our Bibles the way we treat our cell phones? What if we carried it everywhere? What if we turned back to it if we forgot it? What if we checked it for messages throughout the day? What if we used it in case of an emergency? What if we spent an hour or more using our Bible each day? That might actually transform us. You see, spiritual formation is the process by which we are formed in our spirits, our inner persons, John Mark Comer writes, into the image of Jesus. Hold on. Or conversely, deformed into the image of the devil. There is no middle ground here. It is your choice every time, every day. How are you being formed in the image of Christ or deformed into the image of the devil? We're all being formed every minute of the day. Every single one of us. Say it with me. We're all becoming someone. You are. I am. We are. The question is, who are you becoming? And do you want to see that person that you're becoming? Because that day will come. And so I want to invite you to both limit your time online, actually know how much time you spend, and then cut it back some, and also the type of content that you ingest. Right? For the formation rather than the deformation of your soul. Because it's going on all the time. And so I asked the students. I said, are you willing to put your phone away? Are you willing to, to try some of this to actually you know, be formed in the image of Christ? And this is what they said. My, uh, my downtime for my screen time is, uh, is 10.30. Which is nice because aren't you supposed to be off your phone like 30 minutes to an hour before you can actually fall asleep? So if I don't get... You know, X amount of sleep a night, I'm burnt the next day. So it's yeah. nice. Yeah. And so I, many of you all, you'll have to ask the young people like how they do this. But it's not just putting their phone away. There's actually settings you can put, and your phone will kind of put itself to sleep. And so some of you know how to do that. I'm happy to learn. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there's some real wisdom and maturity in our young people. They know this, right? We become like Jesus when we engage both reality the truth of ourselves, of what's going on, and relationship. What the Bible calls spirit and truth. It's in John 4, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship how? Say it with me. In spirit and truth. Both. Both. Because spirit is that relationship. And that, spirit, that relationship without truth, it has no meaning. Sometimes we're, we're way too timid about sharing. I'm here because Jesus called me here. Or Jesus loves you, and I love you, and this is a part of who I am. And so you can come alongside people and make no sense of, of your well-meaningness. And some of you who have other religious experiences before you came here know also that the truth without spirit is cold, even cruel, even cruel. It doesn't look like Jesus at all. It takes both truth and ridiculous grace relationship. So we become more like Jesus when we invite others to join us in relationship. Jesus did it all the time. In Matthew 4, he walks by, he says, follow me, right? Fisher folks, follow me, follow me. And then he does it again, follow me, follow me. 
But here's the thing. Jesus invites more to follow him than just you and your friends. Jesus was always inviting people to follow him, even the least likely candidates. People that you might wish weren't called. If you get to Matthew 9, you find someone no one wanted to bunk with. It says as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, just like he did all the rest. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, say it with me, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. You could read that many terrible, terrible, terrible sinners and some less sinners. Nobody wanted to be with these folks. And Jesus says, follow me. He invited them to follow him. You see, friends, you are invited to be a friend of Jesus and follow him in relationship and reality, spirit and truth. So here are your action steps. Um, really simple stuff to do. Um, but it's also fairly pointed. So let me just get to the point. Invite Jesus to be the Lord of your phone because he's not Lord of your phone. He's not Lord of your life. Hear that. If Jesus is not the Lord of your phone, he is not the Lord of your life. And we, just, we just have to own that. Because you have to be Lord over your phone. And Jesus is Lord over us. And you can do it. You can do it. It's not, you don't have to go along with everything else everybody else is doing. You just don't. Even the young people know this. I want you to hear um, one of the answers. My friends are very understanding of me and my situation because I don't have social media. I wasn't allowed whenever, you know, I was 13, 12 when I got my phone. I wasn't allowed to. Um, And now I'm allowed to, but I just don't really see the point anymore. Except Facebook. I do like looking for stuff I don't need. Um... (laughs) I have Facebook, but that's that's for cars. Um, but I don't have social media, so if I do get, you know, someone takes a picture of me or with me or a video, they're like, can I post this? Are you okay with me posting it? And they're super understanding. So that's that's I've had a positive experience with that uh, so far. So, yeah. Great. So particularly for you parents with junior high and younger kids, not all the high schoolers have social media on their phones. They're not Not everybody's doing that. It's just not true, right? So that's one thing you can do, right? The other is you can take and wear your new Acts 2 t-shirt, right? right? We've got them for you. And, and particularly, I hope that you'll, you'll take, wear it to an event where you know that you're super tempted to just disengage and be on your phone, like Thanksgiving, you know, <laughs> where you're just trying to check out. I don't want to talk to weird Uncle Bob. So just wear your shirt, show up. You can do it. Um, and then finally, um, we put a lot of energy and effort into something that is a great blessing to me. It's a reading and reflection. It's available to you Monday through Friday on your app. If you don't have the Acts 2 app, I hope that you will get it. Um, this is Patrick Brandon's phone with his beautiful daughters, of course. Um, here's our app here. You simply tap the app. Uh, it comes up, and then your daily reading and reflection is second here. You tap that, and it will lay out all of the reading and reflections for the sermon series. It, matches up with the graphic. Uh, As you go into it, then you'll have a reading. This one was from Psalm 139. Uh, And then this one's from Courtney Blackson. Courtney writes, uh, and Michael Andrus writes regularly for us, does a great job, uh, as does Dr. Grell and Brandon. And I love them so much because they quote me. They say, on Sunday, Pastor Mark preached on discerning truth. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But they're really good. They're really, they bless me. And I know they'll bless you. And so I hope you'll, you'll, you'll do that with us each and every morning. And so, now that your phone is an instrument and no longer just a device, ask Jesus to make you his instrument, Lord of you, an instrument of his peace.
And so I invite you to, to pray this prayer. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I think it's one of the most beautiful prayers ever written in the history of the world. And, and then we'll share the Lord's Prayer together. If you'll pray with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.